welcome back to the Eloquent in the Room podcast. I'm Rose Cooper. We are going to dive straight back into the second part of our conversation with Megan. I don't have a lot of dilly-dallying to do before we get back into it. I left a bit of a clit hanger last time. We were talking about fake orgasms, faking orgasms. Obviously, it's an occupational hazard slash obligation for Megan all of these years. In this second half, we talk more about her journey as a sex worker and we also get really intense and personal and intimate talking about the topic of vulnerability in the context of sex. And when I was editing this, because we did go off on a lot of tangents, I've got to say, we, it was a really deep conversation uh, that went for about three hours. And you are very much the fly on the wall of that conversation. And I've been very careful to painstakingly take out stuff that could be considered too much information or a little bit too personal or completely off topic or me rambling or whatever. So it's been a a bit of a job to edit this. But while I was listening back to it this morning, while I was editing it and talking about the vulnerability aspect, I realized that there was something I needed to suddenly add. So I did. I added some stream of consciousness stuff at the end where I felt like I was right into the topic, like bathing and rolling around in it. And I was feeling really lucid and articulate and it was great. And as GarageBand, the app that I record on, as it does occasionally happen, if you've got more than one program open while you're recording, sometimes GarageBand will just throw up its hand and say, oh, my system is overloading. I'm going to stop recording now. Fuck you. And because I was deep into what I was saying, I didn't notice and my screen had shut down, had gone into sleep mode because I was just closing my eyes, talking into the mic and everything. And I got to the end of what I was saying and I thought, wow, that was powerful. That was deep. That was, oh my God, that was so cool. And then I put my password in to wake my computer up again to f- only to find out that it actually stopped recording halfway through what I was saying. So I had to muster up something and recorded something for the second half of that little rant. And I went off on a different tangent entirely, but I'm still kind of happy with it. At the end of the day, I'm just trying to say to you, listen to the conversation that we have and listen to the course of how this group of conversations unfolds and go inside yourself and have a think about it and see how you process it for yourself. Because I'm, I think this idea of the Madonna Hall complex speaks to us all differently. And the more you go into it, the more you see more examples of it everywhere, absolutely everywhere, in every situation. It's patriarchy in a nutshell. You can't have one without the other because there's so much about controlling the behavior of others that goes into this notion. There's so much about projection that goes into this notion of Madonna whore. It's all about the objectifying of a woman in one way or another, and they can't seem to reside in the same person. And women have been breaking free of this fucking jail of a thought process over the last few decades and just going, fucking hell, just let us be people, well-rounded, multifaceted individuals, just like you're allowed to be, you fucking jerks. So with no further ado, 
Let's get stuck back into the interview, leading off with the world's most stupid question. Don't forget to stick around at the end. And also, I used to fake orgasms all the time. Mm. So with the, with the transaction, was it like, um, like, you know, for sex or for a blowjob or, or whatever, was it ever a timed event? Always. Because clearly fake orgasm kind mm-hmm. of came into being mm-hmm. for people to sort of, well, I want this to end now and all you have to do is fake an orgasm and that triggers yeah. the orgasm. So did you have like an internal clock in your head as to <laughs> well, I how? Yeah. Um, but sometimes I would even do like, hand jobs or even have sex in the VIP rooms at the club. And then you're selling like 15 minute blocks of time or whatever. So yeah. you have that very like 15, 30 minutes, whatever, an hour, way too long. Like if you're doing 15 minutes, the guy is going to get off in like five minutes. You mm. know? So you stick mm. to doing just like one thing and one thing only. You're not changing positions. You know, I've always been really weird about like giving blow jobs for transactional reasons um just because one like doing it with a condom is yucky and Mm. (laughs) um it's it's like intimate more Mm. intimate for me absolutely so like with that you know you talk dirty you do one thing and one thing only and try to like get them off as fast as possible so Mm. that you can leave the situation and then outside of the club you know i would do by the hour um Towards the end, most of the people that I was um, seeing transactionally, it was like a girlfriend experience type thing. Mm. So um, the the charging by the hour was also like to hang out and have dinner and all of that. But um, faking orgasms was definitely beneficial for that. Mm. But I also started faking orgasms like before I was doing sex work. Um mm kind of because I thought it was what my partner wanted. Mm. Well, usually like that is what you want when you're hooking up with someone is to get them off. Um, mm. But did anyone ever, sorry to interrupt, but I did know someone who was paid to have an orgasm. The guy yeah. wanted the woman to have an orgasm and that's the, that was what he was paying for. So did yeah. you ever have that sort of daily? Definitely. And yeah. Um, I would fake it. Yeah. I can think of maybe one transactional situation where I actually came and Mm. it was just because, uh, two. Um, it was just because, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Because I knew I was never going to see the person again, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I had like a, a, when I was really young, um, this boyfriend I lived with like was really into like squirters and getting women off and everything because it was so difficult for me to orgasm I would just fake it Um, Mm. and then you know when you fake it with a partner that you're with regularly they get the idea that they're getting you off more easily than you are so they don't really learn like how to do it Mm. so I have totally stopped faking orgasms and it has resulted in me um, actually having orgasms with yeah. partner. Yeah. I found that because I'm very noisy anyway. <laughs> so, so even if sometimes I would fake it a little bit, 
it was usually in a whole session of sex where orgasms might have happened before or after or whatever and my partner still hadn't had an orgasm. So Mm -hmm. I I didn't really, in my mind, I wasn't faking orgasm. Mm -hmm. I was riding their orgasm. I was Mm -hmm. in in their orgasm with them and giving them the vocal cues that they would get off on. So in my mind, I wasn't faking orgasm and I still found it very enjoyable mm-hmm. and I would still have orgasm during sex at some stage during that if you know what I mean so I've always from the time I started having orgasm expected and wanted that every time I'd had sex with someone that I would have an orgasm and if 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 I didn't it wasn't for want of trying or not bringing it up it was always on it my mind. Always on Just from my the time mind. I was young, I was like, well, we're having sex. We have an orgasm. That was my logic. Yeah. <laughs> we're um, turning up for this together, not just me turning up for you. Yeah. Yeah. It mm. definitely was not like that for me. Like, mm. I definitely thought that I couldn't really come with a partner, but then um, I was having sex with a lot of men. Like, I definitely had an easier time with women. And then, you know, I realized that it's not weird or creepy for me to masturbate while I'm having penetrative sex. And Mm. that definitely helps a lot. Mm. Um, And for a while, I was just confused. Like, I thought, um, am I supposed to be able to come from, like, penetrative sex alone? Yeah, it's amazing to think that we think that when we realize that it's unlikely and that's normal. We wonder yeah. why we ever didn't realize. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I because I learned very early on that the like the only way I could have an orgasm was with my clitoris simultaneously with intercourse or or whatever. Mm-hmm. When my uh, first boyfriend started seeing someone else and we were still friends, he bragged that his girlfriend came three or four times while he was ha- like they were having intercourse. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's faking it. She's it. That's, <laughs> that's a lie. She's faking it. And then like a few years later in my life, I started being able to have all sorts of different kinds of orgasms and just yeah. thinking, oh, she may, she may well have. Yeah. You know, I just... <laughs> We, we can become very locked into what our body can do until one day it does something different and we go, oh, we yeah. can do that. We can do that now. And you just add, keep adding new things to your repertoire. Yeah, it's rare, but it's definitely possible. You know, I didn't even know what the clitoris looked like and is shaped like. Like I didn't know about the branches that you can't see that wrap around the vaginal opening Mm -hmm. until I took an anatomy and physiology series when I was about 28. If you're not entirely sure what we're talking about here, please check the diagram link in the show notes. And they showed that diagram in the class and I was like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. why, why is this not more common knowledge like why is this not part of sex education like why yeah <laughs> oh, yeah I did I, I guess the first time I saw it was because um, I worked for magazines and stuff so around about the time that um, Helen O'Connell was famously applauded for being the person that found the internal structures I've since that time found out that this is not the case that they've known about it for a hundred years but it's yeah but it's just <laughs> but it's just not been common knowledge 
for in the in the public. It's just you know, it's not something that's been. And it wasn't until they they did an what yeah what uh, it wasn't until they did an MRI. I think it was in two thousand and four or whatever that everything was completely and utterly mapped out. And there's nerves specific nerves in different parts of the clitoral area that was completely mapped out, like to the nth degree. And you think, why weren't we told? But why didn't anyone care to do it? But I just always knew that when I was aroused that everything swelled up, but I didn't really put two and two together. You just know what you know and you just take things for granted of your own body without giving it any thought at all as to why. You just... (laughs) I've always been, like, since I went to massage therapy school, I was 17 when I started massage therapy school. I dropped out of high school and went straight to that. And I took my first anatomy and physiology class, and it almost was, like, a religious experience for me when, like, the whole way that the human body is like a perfect organic machine that functions together when it all came together and clicked I was like (gasps) stuff that we're learning about in a massive way now like feels like we're all on this crazy um, learning curve now anybody that's got anything to do with any therapy and is translating that into sexual empowerment are talking to the vagus nervous system and talking to breathing and tantra. And, like, tantra, that's been around for thousands of years, I guess. You know, I don't know exactly. But but the idea that the sex organ is, like, you know, starts here and, and ends at the toes, like, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, skin, our skin, our brain, our, our nervous system, our emotional things, our endocrine, hormones, everything. So, you know, we, we've been so deprived. It's like the human race has been in semi-darkness about what sex is. And now we're, you know, if you choose to, you can be in full light, vivid technicolor, <laughs> full screen experience that isn't a, either a localized or a mental. Right. I mean, it's definitely a very mental thing for me. Like I have to have full concentration to be able to get off at all. Yeah. Um, I wish that at I the moment, at, at the moment, cause you're on a journey. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm. Did you have any questions for me? Cause when we were, when we were talking with the chat comment thing, you were sort of saying you're just learning or learning to express yourself in a new and interesting way and connecting with sex. But it felt like that you were also invested in having a dialogue specifically about that and, and how to facilitate Right. This with within your within yourself and maybe open yourself up even more or I don't know. Yeah. Um I guess about how to overcome that feeling of needing to be performative. Mm-hmm. Um and just I remember I, the first video you posted that uh, caught my attention that I commented on. Um and you put something like what sex ed should incorporate and you put like prioritizing Mm. mindfulness Mm. and I was like blown away by that because Mm. I feel like for most of my life during sex I've always been like a million miles away Mm. and one of the first couple episodes of your podcast you mentioned that too um Mm. about how um 
we can be like focused on what, how we're performing or Mm -hmm. just thinking about something else. Um, so I guess, I mean, I've written down a couple of the, um, book you mentioned, a couple of the people that you mentioned. Um, I guess, do you have any other recommendations for, for reading or anything Mm. like that about, Mm. um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you can acknowledge it because you've been a sex worker. You can acknowledge that it's been performative mm-hmm. and you built a whole lifestyle around it. And I'm sure there's books out there. Yeah. But vulnerability is something individual. It's really, really individual to people. And for me, um, it's, and when I, t- as soon as I mention the word vulnerability, I immediately become vulnerable. I can feel emotional in my heart center. Um, I feel my voice start to get a little bit choked up. And then I put myself in a position where I I say to you, Megan, it took me a long time to get to this place of not only loving myself, but allowing myself to be vulnerable in the presence of another person. Yeah. And ask that person to accept me for the beautiful, fragile person I am, which is a completely other place from the person that people see, particularly when, I, when I've been in uh, a casual sex lifestyle where I come off as being very confident, very sexually confident, very aware of whether or not people find me attractive or don't find me attractive and using that to... That's one of the engage that was like a fake it till you make it thing. Yeah, and you and you don't understand. You don't really understand how much of what that phenomenon is, that flirting phenomenon is. How much of it is? Um, I know that I emulate people that I had crushes on, particularly girls that I had crushes on. I emulate certain things that they did that I saw worked on boys. I saw parts of myself that were what I thought other people found attractive or or whatever. I find myself in a really interesting transition period of my life now because being confronted with getting older Mm -hmm. is if you've considered yourself to be someone whose main currency and for a very long time in my life I felt my main currency was my sexual attractiveness I worked on staying fit and slim and very relatable yeah dressed a certain way spent a lot of time baking my skin to a crisp on the beach (laughs) and um and sort of felt like it was a, a power thing it was pretty much the only thing that I felt confident about Mm-hmm. was that people would like me sexually and got into relationships under the feeling that while ever I kept that person happy sexually, that they would never leave me. So I very much traded it for the love that I wanted and the feeling of security that I felt, all of this stuff. So along that journey of getting older, and as you know, coming into 30, you're, you're, you're doing the checks and balances of the previous 15 years of your life or whatever and working out what you want to keep and what you want to let go of. 
the next 30 years <laughs> is working out how to, uh, like you've worked out what, what works for you, what makes you happy, what makes you happy about who you are, feeling not only that your sexual attractiveness and your sexual response is not just something that you're doing to make someone else feel good about themselves as a lover and as a person um, that you make feel good because you're bestowing your love and affection on them. The next 30 years is, and it might not take you 30 years, I hope it doesn't, <laughs> is, is then genuinely falling in love with yourself and the, the child you were and the train wreck you were, I was a train wreck, different kind of train wreck, different kind of train, <laughs> but still a train wreck. Um, and falling in love with the idea that this vulnerability, it's finding an emotional centre that's not love, but it's emotional. It's just this emotional feeling that needs outlet, that needs a catharsis, that needs to be expressed and then you're integrating these, this in with sex. I know that I tripped over it a few times and when I fell in love with people, I let my guard down during sex and you have that pinnacle moment where you say, I love you during sex, which feels like that fireworks moment or that moment where this is where we bonded and from now on we're in a relationship and that I had these bonding moments during sex. But not long after those fireworks drop off, you, you sort of stop thinking about the emotional component of sex and only think about the recreational aspect of it, the performative aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It's still sexually enjoyable, but you become more distant and more dissociated from your emotions because you're con only connecting on the how good are my tits, how good does my vagina feel when we're having sex. You know, you're, you're really only connecting on what you can do for that person mm -hmm. by being the vessel of, of, of what they're feeling and, and, and stuff, and it's very erotic but it's not emotional. That's so, so much more when that emotional component is Well, there. it's the thing is I, I, I've, I suppressed my emotions because of trauma. I suppressed my emotions. And, and the cool thing that I learned about 20, 25 years ago, I don't know where I read it, but it was to do with PMS. And it's kind of like truth serum. It's like for the, the other three weeks of the month, we're doing the thing that women do. We're armoring up against uh, things that annoy us and, and we're deferring our own emotional needs and, and not expressing ourselves, not getting angry, being that sort of um, dulled person. And then in that PMS, the gloves are off, all bets are off, and your hormones force you for those couple of days actually sit with emotion and sit and sit with need and sit with needing the comfort of embrace comfort food you know just really really sitting with it and 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 it was a truth serum and as soon as i thought about that that really changed the way i looked 
at not just that time of the month but looked at my emotions as being valid rather than inconvenient or uh, unattractive or, <laughs> or all of these things that sort of divorced me from that authenticity. But coming into my 50s and that my, my second divorce happened when I was like 52 and then starting to date people, I, I wanted sex but I also wanted connection that, that I was like, well, why would, you, why would you even show up for anything less? Why would you even want to kiss someone or touch someone for anything less than the, the experience? Like it's not just for an orgasm or it's not just to give someone an orgasm. It's to have the catharsis and, and with that catharsis, the phenomenon of a full-bodied orgasm not just a genital orgasm but an orgasm that feels like it's blowing through the top of your head and out of your arms and through your chest and and so um so hence me being like quite happily celibate at the moment um and partly that is just self-protection self-preservation emotionally mm. and the other big part of it too is what's the point of having a bunch of subpar sexual experiences I just don't see the point I I don't I don't need the to use the modern vernacular I don't need the flex I don't feel like I've got anything to prove to anyone I don't still have to sort of have sex with people to feel like I'm still valid as a sexual being or that if you know whether or not I'm sexually attractive to people that's their business that's nothing to do with me there's you know I've let go of being invested if, in whether or not people are attracted to me because for the most part when guys, particularly guys, are sexually attracted to someone, it's because they want to have sex with you, mm-hmm. which isn't a compliment. <laughs> not particularly. <laughs> not particularly. <laughs> it's like she'll, it could be just she'll do. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I have a conversation with someone about sex and that makes them interested in having sex with me because of me talking about I like to have this really, really great sex and they're like, so, you know, put me down for one of those. Not really, not really, not really understanding or, or, or realising just how vulnerable a place that is. It's so, ni- it's so nice to let go of... I used to keep track. I used to keep track of how long it had been. And if it had been longer than two or three weeks, I would feel like I have to have sex because it's been too long without it. It was a construct in my head if that if it went more than, you know, two or three weeks, that it would heal up. (laughs) That I would that I would I don't know, stop being a sexy person if I didn't have sex regularly, but I definitely went through a phase, a heartbroken mm. phase at like 23 where I was just sleeping with people for that, um, looking validation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And also looking for, like, I wanted that feeling of connection, but the sex was never great because the connection wasn't there in the first place. And it leaves you feeling just more empty than you felt in the first place. 
And I think going through all of that too was really part of what made me want to like look at my attitudes and relationship to sex and mm. stop using it like you said for validation and make it just about me like something that I want to do um and also also about the person I'm having sex with too but like I want it to be because it's someone that I'm genuinely interested in and mm. vibing with yeah 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 but yeah. it's like if you um yeah, I just noticed that um, I had no interest in sex anyway unless I was vibing with that person. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. Um, and, but the cool thing, the cool thing is that I trust and believe that it's never going away. I know it's not going to go away. So uh, it's not a if you don't use it, you lose it situation because I maintain my own sexual health anyway. Um, I mean, definitely one of the major things that drew me to your content initially was um, the content that you're making about, like, being a sexual being as you get older as a woman. Mm. Since we're taught that, you know, when we get older as women, we lose that Hags. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I have always just hated that idea. I reject it completely. Like I know that we can still be sexual beings as we yeah. know. It's a, it's a, it's a prison caring too much about it or not caring about it. I don't, sometimes I toss up what, what is, what matters more caring about it or not caring about it. I'm getting to a point where I don't care about it. It's interesting to talk about this because I'm going through this process at the moment of intellectualizing what I'm doing now on social media by either being sexy or being grandmotherly and maternal. I'm playing with these roles with gay abandon at the moment. I'm just really just, <laughs> I'm just trying to get people to sit with whatever they're reacting to and not really caring and not, and not sort of looking at these things and thinking, well, I'm ugly here and I'm beautiful there, or I don't think about it. These are both me. <laughs> these persona, personas are both me. And I'm able to detach from what other people's opinion are about it, whether or not I still look good in a bra and underpants. I don't even think about that now. I just think this person for this thing that I'm trying to illustrate would be wearing lingerie or this situation or whatever it's I'm playing a role and not caring about it but liberating well it is and the cool the cool thing about I've been doing this series with Kate Bush reels and I've been doing a group of songs that are very sexy songs and in order to engage with well how am I going to portray this I didn't even know when I started this idea. I wasn't even daunted about saluting her for 52 weeks. I just thought she's got a lot of songs that I love, so that's <laughs> not going to be hard. But I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea what I was going to do. And, and, and week to week, I just don't know what I'm going to do until I do it. So if these last ones were that they've been quite sexy and I, I've been sort of making them very artistic and blurry and, and whatever to help people project whatever fantasy onto the song through mm -hmm. me, nothing to do with me. I'm just trying to tell them about this is what the song's about. 
but when I'm when I'm in there and doing it and getting into a bra and stuff, and I'm thinking, actually, this is fun. <laughs> this is still fun, and I still like feeling sexy. Mm-hmm. So that that's been an interesting sort of thing because on one hand I've been relieved feeling really really a sense of relief Mm -hmm. that people don't check me out when I go out but to go out in bag like go out in baggy clothes I wear my pajamas to the shop I'm that guy (laughs) so you know I just just feel like I don't care and I prefer if nobody was checking me out I'm just in this bubble I walk around in a bubble and I don't really care about it at all and I'm and I like the fact that getting away from dating apps is also getting away from feeling like you're in a, a butcher shop window and people feel like they have to stop and pay you a compliment as part of the, the flirtation exchange of you're hot, your photos are hot, and that's the extent of their wit witty repartee. They got nothing else to give you in regards to conversation. Oh, intellectual never lasted long on a dating app. Oh my god, it's just oh, it's horrible. So um, you get you get to resent it. You get to resent that when you're feeling comfortable not being that. Yeah. So it's a, I'm I'm it's a real process for me. So while I can give you an insight into the that emotional journey and how satisfying and cathartic it is to release that and connect it with your orgasm and and be with someone knowing that you guys are doing this with a view to facilitating this connection to our humanity. It's it's a deep, deep connection to the, the maternal, the paternal, the male, the female, the human, the animal, the spiritual, all of these elements can all come together in this experience. And anybody who isn't thinking of it that way, it's easy for me to think, oh, that's a shame. I sometimes feel it's a shame you're missing out. But we go through these stages in life where having sex, this kind of sex, kinky sex, whatever, it's great. It's it's a, an adventure that you're on and you're, you're learning about your sexuality and then it morphs into other things. And then in the case of having children and, and um, experiencing uh, pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding and all this sort of stuff, it can, it can change your sexual connection with your body in a positive or negative way. For me, it was a positive way, but, you know, the aging process really accelerates Mm-hmm. After a certain, like you really do notice a whole lot of stuff, and it's a really interesting place to be and to integrate into your life. So, so that's what I mean. I'm in a really interesting transition phase of letting go of stuff, hanging on to some stuff, but I'm doing it for me. I'm not yeah. doing it for anyone else. I'm not doing it performatively, or well, I am because I'm doing it on social media, mm-hmm. but. But to get a point across. Yeah. And people, if they want to say nice things, that's nice. But I'm I'm not going to feel disoffended if no one says nice things. Right. And it's like there's a whole generation of young women who my heart goes out to who have been socialised in social media. 
and learn to get that oxytocin hit or the dopamine hit from likes, like really, really, yeah, that's their social life. It's not a real-life social situation, but it's, it's a digital self-esteem thing. It would have ruined me. I don't think I could have survived it. I don't think so either. Um, social media didn't really... I guess I was a teenager when it became a thing, but it was more like a Zanga live journal. So it was about writing, like me, keeping... Mebo, Mebo, Bebo. MySpace. MySpace, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I kind of... I got off of social media completely for a while um, because, you know, it's designed to be addictive and I felt like I was just wasting too much time. But mm. um, now I'm back on it and trying to strike balance and maybe eventually trying to use it too. Because sex work is something I'm having trouble letting go of because mm. I'm, like, trying to reconcile that, like, the performative aspect with the exhibitionist aspect mm-hmm. um, and exhibitionism is something that I still am very much into. Um, I get it. I, I do get it. <laughs> so you're, so you're toying with the idea now of returning to sex work in a whole other yeah, realm. Online, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I'm guessing OnlyFans is the best platform for it. Um, mm. But I definitely want to stack content first so that it's not something I'm always scrambling to do. Mm. And then um, I just want it to be more like filthy still, yes, but um, artistic also, like costuming. I'm really into wigs and makeup and all of that. Um, fun mm. and mm. Um, I sort of like the like OnlyFans is more ethical porn you know because you have to pay for it um, I definitely got completely turned off to porn from watching this like I know this documentary is like all mostly propaganda whatever the hot girls wanted that was on Netflix. Um, I watched that and was just like disgusted and tried to stop watching porn completely. Um, Just, I still try not to watch it unless it's like, um, I mean, there's a few good sites I subscribe to some friends, only fans. And then there's like a four chambered heart, which is like um, kind of weird, queer alts porn. um, Yeah. definitely ethical but um yeah you know I just find like it desensitizes me I am always wondering like are the actors being paid well are they like yeah yeah so the porn is a, an entire whole other conversation definitely <laughs> I've just stayed away from it I'm just not not interested. I read erotic literature if I'm if I'm bored and I have I have no libido and I think I probably should masturbate. I might look at erotic, read something that's a taboo or whatever, and and it works that way. But but I just think, who are these people? Under what circumstances are they doing it? Are they being abused? 
what's going on, how old are they? And yeah. the and the idea that the ideas that are being sold along with it, like um, rape fantasies and and just all the all the worst kinds of scenarios are on offer. Whatever you want, it's out there. That the, you know, whatever your particular fetish might be, mm-hmm. and most of it is misogynist and and mm-hmm. and sad and dysfunctional and that's it. People underestimate the nuance of um sensuality and anticipation and and it's sad really that um we seem to reside on opposite ends of the spectrum in regards to what turns us on meaning men and women generally and i'm aware that's a total generalization mm-hmm. um the the details only five minutes that they need to get off <laughs> whereas, whereas what I need to get off was if I was going to watch a scenario, I'd probably pause and rewind and pause and rewind the kiss before the sex or, you know, that moment when they knew they were going to kiss and just drag it out as long as possible. That's more funny. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm excited for you that you're able to incorporate what was a big part of your life and reassign parts of yourself that belong to it. Thank you. That means you know? a lot. Yeah. I'm excited to you. <laughs> I think it's, it's going to be really therapeutic for you. Well, I presume you're thinking about what works for you, mm-hmm. not just thinking catering for the, you know, look, I don't know. You're a businesswoman. You might be thinking, "What's going to make me a lot of What's going to make me a lot of money?" So I need to cater for that crowd. Or are you thinking, "How do I want to express myself and enjoy yeah. this <laughs> and, and enjoy this experience and record it, and people can pay for it, knowing that I really actually enjoyed the experience." Mm-hmm. That is definitely how I'm wanting to approach it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Oh, all right. Well, I had better go do some laundry. Okay. That sounds sexy. (laughs) Going to wear a a maid's outfit? Not a bad idea. Make it more fun at least. Um, Lovely to talk to you. You you too. Thank you so much for reaching out. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for engaging with me because I need people sort of reflecting back to me specifically what they're getting out of out of it. So yeah, I'm really I'm really appreciating it. It's good stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. Yay! All right. Bye-bye. Bye. So yeah, after all of that editing, I was wondering if a thread was maintained during the course of that conversation that encapsulated parts of the very, very complex nature of the Madonna whore complex. Maybe that's why it's called complex. But when I'm listening to myself back talk about vulnerability, I realize that a big part of this whole good girl, bad girl scenario is that women are looked up to or looked down on. 
And what is commonly referred to as strength is often taught to us as being weakness. And when I speak of weakness and strength, I'm talking about vulnerability. To be in someone's arms and cry is a very vulnerable place to be for anybody, particularly if you've had childhood trauma. And sometimes it's very vulnerable for women as much as it can be for men to be in that vulnerable space to cry. And for many women, orgasm is that vulnerable place. It's allowing ourselves to be in that moment and to lose inhibitions and lose control. And because society has shamed us so much for expressing our sexuality, we defer our pleasure to taking care of the person that we're having sex with and think more about their pleasure and delighting in the vulnerability of the person we're with when they have an orgasm. And the flip side of that too is that men are pressured not to be vulnerable. They're pressured to be virile and strong lovers and they take such delight in giving sexual pleasure to women. So much so that they can only see what sex is to them as the answer to that question. And not looking for it in these vulnerable places, but looking for it in these places where their sexual expression to them is conveying an emotion sometimes. I know that in my experiences with men over the years that at moments of orgasm I've been told by men, I love you, only for them to kind of laugh it off later and sort of say it was a heat of the moment thing and not back it up and then find myself wanting to be with that person and have sex with that person in order to hear them reveal their feelings to me in that moment. It's really complex and I'm not sure if I'm really hitting the nail on the head of what I'm trying to say here, but I'm still in the process of editing this podcast together and I just wanted to take a moment to express how I feel when I talk about vulnerability and this Madonna whore complex, like for women to be assertive in bed, this flips a narrative to women being strong and dominating and seductive. And this is both a positive and a negative thing, depending on who's telling the story or what movie you're watching or or how each person feels about what seduction means to them, what temptation means to them. I know I've been accused by men in the past of using seduction or being a temptation to them when I thought nothing of the kind. I was expressing my desire for them 
and they would turn that back against me and not resent me, but make it about me. The fact that they desired me, make that about me, make it my fault. I actually was dating a guy once, like on dates, we went to museum, art gallery, and uh, we hung out and we had sex. And one night we were talking on the phone and he said he was going to introduce me to his friends. And I felt that, oh, this actually means we're a thing now. We're about to become a thing. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that. I was a little bit... Uh, excited and also scared. I wasn't sure if it was something I wanted. I, it, it all seemed quite sudden. And then the next day, he said, oh, actually, I, I can't see you anymore. Um, this is wrong. Um, and he's going back to his ex, who he wasn't actually broken up with. They were just on a break, apparently. And technically, sleeping with me had made him cheat. And I was gutted, absolutely gutted and insulted and disappointed. I never expected this at all. It just came from so far out of left field. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you, why didn't you tell me? And he goes, how could I? Like, you were just so tempting. Pauses dramatically for effect fuck off (laughs) yeah and that was a grown-ass man he was actually my age and I wasn't going out with many people my own age when this happened this was about seven years ago give or take I'm losing track now but yeah my fault My fault he cheated because I was tempting him by being interested in dating him when I didn't know that he wasn't single. Yeah. And this does fall under the Madonna Hall category because I was desired by him and because I was sexually available, he kind of gave himself a loophole. It's all about the loopholes and the endless loop between seeing women as virginal and put up on a pedestal and using them as objects. It's an endless loop. It's a very deep and nuanced, complex, conversational thing that I've embarked on. I may have bitten off more than I can chew. We will see what we will see. I hope that people do um, process this and see how it lands with you. And please send me some feedback and comments and uh, DMs and, you know, either on Instagram or email me at theeloquentintheroom at gmail.com. Any experiences that you've had that you feel reflects the Madonna whore complex, whether on the receiving end or feeling it emerge from within you as an internalized thing, it's hard to get away from. We are so indoctrinated into all of this stereotype, archetype, 
way of thinking. And now we're in an era where we're stepping away from gender roles. It becomes clearer and clearer exactly how bound and blinded we have been to the way we objectify other people and how other people objectify us based on these stereotypes and archetypes and gender roles and how colonialized we all are by it. That's a whole other topic that I'm not very well versed on. If anybody is out there who wants to talk about the colonization of women's bodies as a actual academic concept, please get in touch with me. I would love to be schooled on that more than is already apparent just from observation. I've just been in a really pensive mood listening back to this podcast as I edit it and feeling emotions rise to the surface and realizing just how much we distance ourselves from the emotions that we feel when talking about these sexual dynamics. And there's so much that I wish I knew back in the day, particularly the concept of checking in aftercare, not just communicating during sex, but checking in afterwards and having a conversation with someone and really asking, how was that for you? Not just did you come, (laughs) but how was that for you? What was going through your mind? How did you feel? Why can't we debrief? It's It's a pretty big deal to have these very vulnerable moments with each other emotionally and physically, to reveal this usually private part of ourselves with a complete stranger when we're having a hookup. It's At one time in my life, it was just part of my life and I didn't second guess it and I didn't ponder how odd it is to be in that situation with someone, you know, five minutes, half an hour, an hour after meeting them, screaming in their ear, And yet, as a human being, a human cisgender female, um, I guard my vulnerability like Fort Knox. Not many people have been close enough to see just how vulnerable I am. And I fantasize about being that vulnerable with people. My sexual fantasies aren't about sex. They're about uh, intimacy, genuine emotional intimacy because I'm not sure how much of it I have really experienced in my life. Uh, And I think the way that sex has been commodified and commercialized and profited on, we're sold a fairy tale and we, we call that emotion. And we're also sold sexuality as a aesthetic. And we call that connection. But at the end of the day, how many of us are really connecting? Like really, really 
stripping away and getting naked emotionally. Hmm. Madonna whore is what separates us. It's the judgment that we place on the other person. It's the costume that we insist that they wear while we process our emotions and our desires (laughs) and our hang-ups and our trauma and the things that hold us back, all the things that propel us forward. It's so complex and nuanced and exciting and scary to think about, let alone talk about. So I hope you are on board with this and I would love to hear your thoughts on the topic. Um, please get in touch. Next up, we have Phoebe. I'm not sure when I'm going to uh, actually put it out. I'm having the conversation later this week, but um, I'm not sure when I'm going to put it out because this is emotional labor that I'm putting myself through, so I have to pace myself through it and, uh, yeah, process things that I'm learning on the hop. So yeah, I love you all. Please give yourselves a big squeezy hug from me. Share, like, subscribe, all that sort of stuff. Jump onto my Patreon if you feel so inclined. Um, And yeah, have conversations about this stuff because this is genuinely the absolute epitome of the elephant in the room this is the conversation that nobody's having the freudian shit the the way we have treated women through the ages because women dare to be the ones who gave birth to us in the first place Gosh, Mum, why did you have to make sexuality so confusing for everyone? Talk to you soon.